morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Vestal. I'm Brett, and I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's good to have you here today. We are uh, going to start a brand new series in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> I'd like to ask you to turn there. Um, we're going to spend the next five weeks in 1 Corinthians, so you may want a notepad, you may want a pen. I understand you can do that stuff on your phone, but I don't know how to do it. Um, but my kids say, Dad, you can highlight right on your phone. I'm like, ah, I, I tried that, but I had to replace my screensaver because I had all yellow and pink highlighter all over it. And I don't know how they can do that. But And then I had whiteout on it because, you know, I, anyway. Um, but 1 Corinthians, it's a great book written by a guy named Paul, um, a follower of Jesus, an apostle. Um, wrote most of the New Testament. Thirteen books in the New Testament were written by Paul. I have a little video that uh, we're going to watch that talks more about 1 Corinthians before we jump in. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, written to a church community that Paul knew really well. Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world and had lots of temples to Greek and Roman gods. It was a big economic center. And so Paul strategically came here as a missionary. He spent a year and a half there getting to know people, talking to them about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people became followers of Jesus and formed a church community. You can read about all of this in Acts chapter 18. So after a while, Paul moved on to start churches in other cities, and he started getting reports that things were not going well at all back at the church in Corinth. It was plagued by all kinds of problems, and that's why he wrote this letter. It's broken up into five main parts, along with a final greeting. And these five sections correspond to five main problems that Paul is addressing. And so the letter reads like a collection of short essays on different topics, but there are these core ideas that unite all of the pieces together. So here's what he does in each section. He describes the problem, but then he always responds to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. And he shows how they're actually not living out what they say they believe. And so this letter is all about learning to think about every area of life through the lens of the gospel. So let's dive in and see how he does it. In chapters one through four, the problem is that there are these divisions in the church. There are some other teachers who had come through town since Paul left, a guy named Apollos and then Peter, and people had picked their favorite teacher and then became groupies around that leader and then started to talk bad and disrespect people who favored another leader or teacher. And so Paul, his response to this is kind of sarcastic and sharp. He says, you have to be kidding me, right? The church is not a popularity contest. The church is a community of people who are centered around Jesus. Its leaders and its teachers are simply servants of Jesus. So while you might prefer one leader more than another, it's not worth dividing over and certainly not speaking poorly about each other. The center of the church is Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he's done. All right, so, so in the book of 1 Corinthians, in this letter, it's actually a letter written to a church in Corinth, um, Paul I don't know if he attacks, but he, he really goes after a number of areas, problems, concern areas in this church with this group of people in Corinth, and he tries to, every time, point them back to the gospel. So today I want to lay the groundwork for how he does this in chapter 1, 
But I wanted to give you that little background so that you could understand where we're heading. I really wish I could draw like that guy because <laughs> that's amazing. So Corinth isn't much of a city today, but back then it was a, uh, a port city. It was known for its commerce. It was known for its temples. Uh, there was a, a temple uh, to a goddess there that that was proud of the fact that they had a thousand temple prostitutes at their temple. And so um, mariners, shippers would, uh, would park in that port and they would live the high life. They would, um, they would live in debauchery and un- immorality for whatever time they were there and then they would leave. Um, it was world-renowned at the time for for this, uh, for this behavior. And Paul went there for a year and a half to plant a church, to tell people about Jesus. Um, it would be kind of like, I think the equivalent would be kind of like our Las Vegas today where, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, kind of an idea that, you know, I want to live a second life, but I don't want anybody to know, so I'm going to go there, do whatever I do, and then return back to my life. That's kind of like Corinth was. Um, and Paul goes there, Acts, in, in the book of Acts, it talks about how Paul went there, stayed there a year and a half, and has been gone for three years and begins hearing these reports that things are not going swimmingly. Uh, there's some trouble there with the people. Something that's not, not internotes really today, but, but I, I wanted to hit. I'm, I'm amazed that Paul chose to go to the most godless places to share Jesus. It's almost like he looked at a map and said, okay, Ephesus, terrible town, I'm going there. Corinth, oh, what debauchery. I'm definitely going to spend a year and a half there. It's almost like he sought out the darkest cities in, in the known world at that time and wanted to go there to be salt and light. And I think that's a good lesson for us because I'm not sure... Followers of Jesus today do a very good job of desiring to be in the mess. I think we tend to desire to be out of the mess. And and so we make decisions and choices that remove us from the very things that Paul was running towards. And, And I know that it's dangerous to be in some of those areas. I know it's dangerous. You know, what happens if, um, if we choose the wrong school, if I choose the wrong vocation, if I choose the wrong workplace, and, and then if I choose the wrong friends, or if I, and <clears throat> I know it's dangerous. It can be dangerous, but it also can be dangerous the other way. If we, just, if we just huddle together as followers of Jesus and do not infiltrate those strongholds that Satan holds I don't think we're living out the Christian faith either. I think that's dangerous too. And I think we have to, as followers of Jesus, remember there was a reason why Paul was running to the battle. He was, he was running to the worst places to be salt and light. Corinth was one of them. And a bunch of people became followers of Jesus in Corinth. And, and we wouldn't even have 1 Corinthians. Like He wouldn't have written a letter to them as a church if, if that wasn't the case. It's just, just a sidebar um, Left to myself, I end, up, I end up hanging out with Christians. Followers of Jesus, people like me. That's easiest. 
but I'm not sure that's living on mission. That isn't Paul's point here, but I do think it's fascinating that he went to the most godless places he could find. He did not hide out with followers of Jesus and stay safe. And I wonder if maybe we err on the side of safety too much in our decisions for our children, for ourselves, for our community, for our church. Are we storming the gates of hell to drag people back to Jesus? Or are we just kind of happy that we're staying uncontaminated? Just, just a freebie, not in my nose. Okay, so anyway, stuff was not going swimmingly, and, and I'm really glad that Paul ran towards this community to share Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul's writing them. He's saying, basically, there is a church with big problems. We don't know any churches with big problems. So this is totally foreign to us, right? Like, we don't, we don't know of any churches that would ever have a problem. I mean, problems don't happen in churches. You know, we would, we would be fooling ourselves if we said that. There's big problems in churches. So this should be very familiar to us. But he begins to point out what was wrong with, with the Corinthians. So let's, let's start. Verse 1, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, so Paul leads this letter off. Unlike other, other letters, he plays the I'm, the I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ card. Now, what he was really doing was he was saying to, in this letter to the Corinthians, starting it off, first line, hey, just so you guys know, I'm an apostle of Jesus. Like it would kind of be like somebody going to the principal's office and just so you know, I'm the principal. Okay? I have authority. Oh. So he's kicking it off that way. He's playing his I have authority card because he's going to get into the weeds and, and ultimately the Corinthians are going to push back on, on some of his apostleship. So he leads with that. Sosthenes may be the same guy in Acts chapter 18 who was a part of a, um, he was the leader of a synagogue and he was trying to convict Paul. Paul was uh, a Jesus follower and he was trying to have a trial and have him tried and ultimately have Paul killed, but uh, it didn't work out and then the mob rose up and, and beat up Sosthenes and it could be that same guy. I don't know how many people that in that day and age were named Sosthenes. I know very few are named that today, but... Anyway, it's, and, and his brother, Sosthenes. Uh, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty common greeting when you read Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but before that, he says two things that I put in orange and I underlined. He, he, he grabs two truths about the gospel and pulls them in. And if we understand these two, we, we will understand how the letter's framed. So the first one is sanctified. Paul makes a point to say to the people, you, you were sanctified, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, sanctified means to be declared holy, 
to be declared righteous, sanctified. It, another, another term for that would be set apart in position. Sanctification really, really means that when I became a follower of Jesus, my position in Jesus changed. And all of a sudden, I am viewed by God Almighty as holy. Now, now you and I might say, but I'm not holy. Oh, you're right. In and of myself, I am not. In and of myself, I am not. But I've been declared righteous. I've been given a position of righteousness. I'm viewed as holy by God because of the blood of Jesus. I don't deserve it. I get it. I don't earn it. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, remember, you have been sanctified. You have a position that is different than the position you had before. Before you were bondage, in bondage to slave, a slave to sin. Now you are declared righteous. You are holy. Okay, that's that's a position position. The second thing he says is that you've been called to be God's holy people. Now that's different than sanctified. You're called to be holy, called to live out a holy life. This is a practice. So sanctification is a position in Christ. Living a holy life is a practice of how our position in Christ ought to affect our daily life. So Paul grabs these two points and basically what he's saying is, I am writing to this church in Corinth, you are followers of Jesus, sanctified, declared holy and righteous before God through the blood of Jesus. However, your lives, how you practice that, is all messed up. (laughs) You are sideways. You've got a position in Christ, but how you're living is not matching up with your position in Christ. Okay, that is the premise of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul is then going to grab some five, actually, we saw it on the writing, on, the, on there, five large areas of, of this church, of their lives, that he says, and here's the first one. You have a position, but in practice, this is what you're doing. Here's the second one. You have a position in Christ, but in practice, this is what you're doing. I like this because... I know that for me, for us, this is how I think. If Paul was writing a letter to Vestal Campus, to the followers of Jesus here, where would he say that we're erring? Where would he say, hey guys, you've got a position in Christ. You've been sanctified. You've been declared holy and righteous before God Almighty. However, your practice, <laughs> you're missing it. And, and I'm sure there are areas, but that's what he's doing with the church in Corinth. Their behavior is not matching their position. Their conduct isn't matching their beliefs. Now, Paul goes on and he, he says there, <clears throat> there are There is also something else the church is missing. Corinth is missing. And Paul says, God has given you amazing grace. 
And grace specifically in three areas. It's manifested in three areas. It's shown in three areas. And Paul goes on in the next few verses to say, not only do you have a position and you're missing it in practice, but you've overlooked some incredible grace that God has given in your life. So let's go there. Here's, here's what he says in verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, you may not catch this, but this is a backhanded compliment. So in every letter Paul writes to any church, remember there's 13 of them, every letter except for this one, Paul says, and here is how, why I thank my God for you. And he lists some attributes that are really positive that the church could say, yeah, he noticed. We're doing something well. 1 Corinthians is the only letter when there's nothing mentioned that they're doing well. <laughs> nothing at all. Like, there's crickets. What he thanks God for is what God has done. Not how they're behaving at all. So, in that verse 4, I always thank my God for you. Okay, why? Because God gave you grace through Jesus Christ. That, that's... That's why I thank my God. Grace would be unearned favor. And then he points out three ways that God has given this to every believer. Verse 5 says, for, for in him, for in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So the first resource given by grace is spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit had given the believers spiritual gifts. Gifts that they could use in the body to build up other believers. The Bible talks very clearly about how when we become followers of Jesus, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and, and comforts us and leads us into all truth. Along with that, we receive spiritual gifts. Um, they're, not, they're not natural talents or abilities. They're, they're spiritual gifts that are given to the body to build up and help and encourage the rest of the body. And Paul's saying here, you guys have missed this. See, God in his grace has given you spiritual gifts. They're not earned or deserved, but you've gotten them to build and strengthen up other believers, but you're not using them. You've overlooked them. He gives, us, gives them a second one. Verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's security is the second grace that Paul points out to the Corinthians. Not only have you missed the spiritual gifts, but he's given you something that will keep you firm until the end. Secure. I almost feel like it's not fair. He's writing this letter to a church that's all messed up. Well, they don't deserve to be firm till the end. If anything, they should be wishy-washy, like wavy, like we're not sure, you know, you may, you may make it, you may not. <laughs> I got a verdict still out. But Paul says, oh, no, no. As followers of Jesus, you have a security in salvation through God's grace. And it will keep you firm 
until the end. You will be blameless. You will be holy in God's eyes, regardless of how you act and live, because of your position in Christ. He says, you're missing that. You, you've been given grace. You have these spiritual gifts that are unutilized. You, you have a security in God that will keep you firm until the end. You're, you're missing that too. He points out a, a third grace that they're missing. Verse 9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, that's the third one, Christ's friendship. And I would say, again, just doesn't seem fair. I mean, g- good bodies of believers, good churches, they ought to have friendship with Christ, but not a messed up one, right? They don't deserve that. They're all messed up. Paul says, oh, no, no. They're, you've been given grace. And, and I've got to tell you, I'm really glad he did because we're kind of messed up too. It's really easy for me to look down my nose at First Corinthian church and think, oh, what a big mess up. Good thing we're not as bad as they are. And yet when I read this, I think, oh man, how far off are we? Maybe we're closer to them than we think. And I'm like, well, I don't know. We're, we're, not, we're not saying things like prostitution. What's the big deal? <laughs> communion? Ah, let's come back. Let's have communion once a month and let's get wasted before it's served. <laughs> they were doing that. The resurrection? I don't know. Is there going to be a resurrection or not? They were wavering on that. And I can look at those and think, yeah, we're not that bad. Their practice didn't match their position. And I think, ah, how often does our practice not match our position in Christ? I mean, really, if we were honest. How much does your behavior on any given day or week completely match your position in Jesus Christ? I don't know for you. For me, it doesn't always match it. And, and whether, whether that's something we heard from the last series about stress or anxiety or fear or depression or despair, and, and we say, well, yeah, I know my position in Christ. I know who Christ is, but boy, <laughs> circumstances of life, I, I, yeah, I don't always live, I don't always practice something that reflects my position. Maybe things I watch, things I listen to, People I hang around with, the way I act when I don't think anybody's watching. I had a, uh, I had a funeral yesterday, uh, my mom's, and a bunch of relatives were in, and uh, a bunch of non-followers of Jesus there, and I was talking to one of my uncles, and we were laughing about my son Jesse, and they were saying, um, th- this uncle from Vermont said, I knew exactly whose boy that was. There's probably... 300 people there, 80 children, 40 of them that are Bixby's running around. And, uh, and he said, that one right there, that's, that's your kid. I said, yeah, it is. How'd you know? He said, oh, man. He looks exactly like you. He was doing backflips off the stage earlier. And I saw him back up to a table and sneak some candy and put it in his pocket. 
You know those moments as a parent when you're really proud? It wasn't one of those. And then he proceeded to tell a story about how I, at Grandpa and Grandma's house, would be told no more candy, and he would catch me sneaking it from the... Uh, so, true to full disclosure, there was a candy jar, right? But there was also an auxiliary dra drawer. And so I wouldn't take any more from the candy jar. But the auxiliary drawer, on the other hand, was kind of off limits, right? Or kind of, you know, mom didn't tell me I couldn't take any from the auxiliary drawer. She just spoke about the candy jar. And I, I think about that, and I thought about what my Uncle Rodney, has, Raymond, had said, and I, I thought, huh, yeah, my practice, my practice doesn't always match my position. And that's a goofy little one. But there's a lot of other ways that my practice doesn't match my position. My response to people, oh, well, you don't understand, I was stressed out. Yeah. There's not like a little asterisk in the Bible that says, you know, oh, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what's profitable for building others up, star. Unless you're having a bad day, and then it's okay. It's just not there. How I respond on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, Twitter, tweet, tweet, whatever, MySpace. <laughs> um, how I respond to people, however that looks, um, doesn't always match my position in Christ. How I drive doesn't always match my position in Christ. There, there, are, there are a lot of ways that I think 1 Corinthians, it's easy for me to look down my nose at that church and say, well, at least we're not that bad, and forget that it's very, very applicable. I just, I just <clears throat> heard about a, a coach uh, at a school, that, and he attends one of our campuses, and, and somebody said, uh, yeah, he... How he's coaching is not honoring to God. Um, and I need to talk with him. He's one of my really good friends. Um, but I think, yeah, my, our practice doesn't always, doesn't always match our position. The things I yell at a wrestling tournament or, or at a football game Need, need to be not only appropriate, but God-honoring. And people can be pretty competitive. Not me personally, but I mean other people. <laughs> I, have, I have friends who can be pretty competitive and uh, don't like to lose. just something to think about. I think 1 Corinthians applies to us a lot. So the, the question really is, if, if Paul was going to address us, what would he write? Stress, worry, how we talk, gossip, entertainment choices, being unconcerned about people who don't know Jesus. 
how much we read our Bible or how much we don't, how much we engage in ministering to people and how much we don't, how hard we work at school, how hard we work at work. I think there's two things we need to walk away with today um, from, from this introduction. And the first one is that, that we need to embrace God's grace in us. Embrace God's grace in us. It's easy for me to see God's need of grace in somebody else's life. It is oftentimes forgotten in my life that God has given me incredible grace. And I forget that. Because I start thinking I'm pretty good. There's a, a quote I found. It says, we are worse off than we thought. And God's grace is more amazing than we ever could have imagined. We are worse off than we think. And God's grace is much better than we could ever imagine. Um, I do believe the older I get, the more I see God's grace and mercy in my life. And that probably is because I just mess up more. I don't know. I was thinking the other day, one of my friends and I were talking, and he said, he said you know what's sobering, Brett? I gave my life to Jesus. I became a follower of Jesus, and I have sinned against God more since I made that decision than I ever did before I made that decision. He said, isn't that sad? And I had never thought of that before. I would never thought of it that way. But he was saying, I've... He was saying, I was... I, was, I became a follower of Jesus young, at a young age, and... And I have sinned far more against God since I accepted his grace in my life than, than I did before. And I was grieved by that because I have, prob- I have two. And I don't think that I recognize God's grace in my life like I need to. Um, just a sinner saved by grace. I think we need to remember that. We need to probably focus on that this week. The, the second thing to walk away with, I think, is we need to celebrate God's grace in other people. And even give margin for God's grace in other people. Because I, I think I can judge, God's grace was great for me, but there's no way he could ever do anything in their life. Oh man, do you know them? <laughs> no way. I mean, I know God's all-powerful, but that's a challenge even for him. I know Jesus' death on the cross is, is sufficient to forgive all sins, but boy, have you met them. And I think we need to not only recognize God's grace in our lives, but we need to give room and celebrate God's grace in other people's lives. When I, when I think about this concept, I think about uh, my high school and college years, and I, I think, boy, if... If uh, So we just had a 30-year uh, high school reunion a few years ago. And if I, if I walk around that high school reunion, Abington Heights is where I graduated from, and, and everybody who saw me and talked to me thought I was exactly the same as in high school, wouldn't that be sad? 
I want them to recognize that grace has happened in my life and I'm different. And I need to also recognize that in their life. Yesterday at the funeral, um, I had a friend who showed up from Puerto Rico. Uh, he was my best friend in, uh, in college and seminary. Um, and we worked together. And great, uh, great friend. Well, that's been a long time. We're different now. And I need to recognize God's grace in his life. And he needs to recognize God's grace in my life. I, I think if we did that all the time, celebrated the fact that God could have moved somebody from where they were to, to someplace better, I think it would change our perspective on people. Or if we viewed people who were in a bad place just as people who need God's grace, not as, not as unfixable. I think it would change our perspective on people. So when somebody's mean to my son at school, I think they just need Jesus. You know, God's grace would fix that. We need to be extra nice to that kid. I want to punch him. So do I, son. But, but no, because he just needs Jesus. That's me without Jesus. But you don't understand my coworker, my boss, they're just so, my ex-spouse, they're just, I don't know every situation, but I do know that apart from God's grace, we all would be there. So I recognize God's grace in my life, but I also celebrate God's grace in somebody else's life. Or celebrate the potential of God's grace in somebody else's life. It just changes our perspective. It makes road rage not happen nearly as often. It makes that email or text or whatever that you push send just not as often. Assuming the best changes a lot. Assuming the worst takes me someplace in my head that is not healthy and unhelpful. You know, all the conversations you have in your head, you know. And you won that argument, and you, then you said this, and wow, they didn't have a reply, and then it all worked out, and, you, and if only, and oh, we're going to go. Yeah, that's the absence of grace. This week, this week, the challenge Recognize the grace God has given you as a follower of Jesus. Be extra thankful for that. Secondly, celebrating God's grace in somebody else's life or celebrating the idea that they are just God's grace away from being completely different. Even Bengal fans have potential with God's grace. <laughs> Even giant fans, I should have said that. <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh, that's the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I have another challenge for you. I, I want to challenge you to read one chapter of 1 Corinthians every day until next Sunday. So chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, each day. Read a chapter of 1 Corinthians. It will help you become more familiar with the book we're going to be studying. 
Um, that video was from the Bible Project. You can go on thebibleproject.com or .org and you can watch the entire clip. It's eight minutes and it goes through the whole book of 1 Corinthians and talks about each area and what, what Paul writes and how he writes it. It's fascinating. They have one of those drawings for every book in the Bible. Um, but become more familiar with 1 Corinthians and we'll come back together next week and we'll pound into the next one. Actually, and, uh, Aaron Patton is going to be here next week and he's going to be preaching um, he is uh, coming to Canada in March, but he wanted to come out, this, come out this way, get to know the area, and I said, ooh, ooh, will you preach? And he said, sure. So score for me, score for us. So um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this letter that Paul wrote. Help us not to be uh, arrogant about how good we think things are or how far we've come I, I feel like we kind of, I, I, I can go there, and I shouldn't. Um, we, we surely could have a letter written to us by Paul, and he could pinpoint a number of ways that we are taking advantage of our position in Christ, but our practice of godly living just doesn't match up. Help us to be humble enough to see those areas and love you enough to want to work on them. In Jesus' name, amen.